This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Canons of Dort. Those articles we read together, we'll do so focusing on the Word of God as we read it in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, that we just sang together in hymn 72. We'll read it together as well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure." Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, no human being can see into the future. We don't know where we will be at the end of 2023. We don't even know if we'll still be alive here on the earth. Do we have then any guarantee that we will still be Christians serving the Lord in the future, in a year's time, in 10 years' time, when it's our time to be taken up from this earth, will we still be faithful to the Lord? Well, there were people in the 17th century that taught that there was no way of knowing. They argued, and you can read some of the arguments and the rejection of errors at the end of this chapter. They argued that not only does your salvation depend on your ability to produce faith and then persevere in it, but you couldn't even be really sure that the faith that you see in your life today is the real thing, and if it would still be a reality in the future. They told people who had professed their faith and were, who were leading a godly life that at any moment they might commit the sin against the Holy Spirit, and it would be all over for them. And since they had since they believed that they themselves had chosen to come to God by their own free will, they also believed that it would be possible for them to choose to turn away from God. And there was nothing that God would do to stop them. You could see how this is not the teaching of Scripture. And people who held to this teaching had no assurance of their perseverance in the faith. The problem with people who are unsure today if they are still, if they still will be believing Christians next week is that their doubts about God's promises and God's effective work in their lives actually undermines the very faith that they profess to have. There is little difference between lacking certainty in what we believe and not believing at all. If we say that we believe that a bridge can hold our weight, we might tell someone, I, I think that bridge can hold my weight. I believe that bridge can hold my weight. And then someone else says, well, okay, well, then walk on it. And we say, no, no, no way. I'm not walking on that bridge. Your uncertainty about what you profess to be true and your unwillingness to follow through is testimony that she didn't really believe that bridge was strong enough. The same thing with our faith. We have uncertainty about the very thing that we profess to be true. It makes that what we profess to be true empty. 
It's meaningless, just words coming out of our mouth. If we don't have assurance of our perseverance in the faith and God's preserving hand, we are missing a vital part of the faith that the Scriptures describes. And so it is with thanks to God that I preach the gospel that the triune God grants believers assurance of their perseverance. He gives us assurance in his word and through his work. First then we see that God grants assurance through his word. When people put their faith in what God promises in his word, they will find that God repeatedly assures us that he will preserve us to the end. The assurance of this promise is found in God's faithfulness and not in our ability. God holds us by the hand, he tells us. He doesn't depend on us continuing to hold on to his hand. You can see that, for example, in Psalm 139. The gospel message that we saw last week too, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9, the week before, that God is faithful. That's the declaration the basis of our assurance. God shows his mercy in choosing us, but also in preserving us to the end. He tells us, and we read it together in 1 John 3, he says, we are children of God. And he assures the children that they will not fall away and be totally lost. Psalm 33 verse 11 tells you that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Hebrews 6 says his purpose is unchangeable. And Philippians 1 says he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. We who believe in Jesus Christ are united to the Savior who assured us that full payment had been made. And when he said, it is finished, then he prayed for us that our faith may not fail, Luke 22, verse 32. And there he is continually interceding for us before the Father. The elect who believed in Jesus Christ, we read in Ephesians 1, have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have this Holy Spirit as a seal that guarantees God's work. He told us that the Lord, the righteous judge, will award the crown of righteousness to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, that was the display text as we walked in this afternoon. Now if we take our Bibles together and we we open them up in Romans 8, we were going to read it all together, we'll read it together now. So grab your Bible and open it up and you will see the depth of the assurances that God gives to us in our lives. We're going to read through different verses, Romans chapter 8, and you can hear the promises of God as he he speaks to us. Here the Holy Spirit says, so you have Romans 8 open before you, it's on page 944, right at the beginning, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then skip forward to verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And then you look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And then verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. And verses 29 and 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And verses 31b and 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And verses 34 and 35, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In verses 37 to 39, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you are looking for assurance that God will preserve you in the salvation that Jesus Christ has obtained, and that you will persevere in the faith. You don't need some strange or special revelation from outside of God's word, but you simply need to believe what God has told you. It's there in front of us in black and white. We believe that. We see why we confess in the perseverance of the saints. Now, as you pay attention to God's word, you'll see that he doesn't promise you that you'll be kept from temptations, that even, uh, not even our Lord Jesus was kept free from temptations, but he does promise that he will always ultimately deliver you from the evil one. 
We confess that together the God, the, the Father of all comfort, will not let believers in this life be tempted beyond their strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape, and by the Holy Spirit will again revive in them the certainty of perseverance. Although this, cha- this verse, this chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, isn't a promise that you will never be carried to a point of suffering beyond what you are able to handle in your own strength. It is a promise that God will ensure that the hardship you are crushed by will not lead you to turn away from the Lord forever. This is what you are desiring when you pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. The Lord will hear your prayer. Even in the most difficult circumstances, the elect of God may be assured that he is always holding them in his hands and he will always lead us to repentance before we die or our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God's grace always prevails in the hearts of his elect. That's why it's impossible for the child of God to commit sin against the Holy Spirit that the Lord Jesus warned about in Matthew 12. There the Lord Jesus speaks of this unpardonable sin that John later refers to as the sin that leads to death. What is this sin? It's that hardening in your sin, whether it's a big sin or a small sin, but hardening in it so that you, you don't repent, you don't Seek to change your life right to your dying breath. If you persist in your sins to your dying breath, that's committing the sin against the Holy Spirit. But if you hate your sins, if you feel remorse for your rebellion, if you turn to God for forgiveness and renewal so that you might be again restored to that experience of peace with your heavenly Father that you desire, you can be sure that this very sorrow over your sins and your humility before the Lord is evidence that you will not be led to death by your sin. His Spirit remains with you. The gospel message for believers is that just as the Son of God humbled himself to come to earth and and become a little baby born of Mary, so the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, humbled himself to dwell in us, broken, dirty temples that we are, in order to continue to fight against the desires of our sinful nature. It's our faith in these promises of God that gives us hope as we struggle with our sins. God's promises give us assurance that we truly are children of God, that his spirit dwells within us, that he is guiding us in our fight against these temptations. And now in his grace, God gives us signs and seals of his promises that we may cling to throughout our eternal life. We, we read the promises in Romans 8 together, and God also gave us visible signs and seals of these promises. If we are seeking assurance, we just need to remember our baptism. Remember that God Almighty, the sovereign God, reached down to earth to give us the sign of water and baptism. Remember that God knows your name, that the triune God has established an eternal covenant with you. 
Remember that God acted in time to set you apart so that you might be sanctified in Christ, that you might share in the blessed work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As long as we remain dependent, as long as children remain dependent on their parents or guardians, children share in the benefits of their caregiver's faith. They do not need to to doubt their place in the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about that in Mark 10, verse 14. Even if God should call them out of this life before they reach the point of independence, those promises of baptism point to the greater work of God. And as Christian parents, we promise to remind our children of their privileged place in God's kingdom so that they never wonder about whether or not God was serious when he gave them his promises. So they never feel like they're lacking something they need from God's hand. We also promise to instruct them in what it looks like to abide or remain in Christ when we become independents so that Children, as they grow up, may become equipped to take the responsibility for the obligations of the covenant, that they might acknowledge God's fatherly goodness and mercy, that they might dedicate their lives for the glory of God's name. And so that assurance that we receive as dependence from being included in the obedience and the benefits of our faithful parents or guardians, Christian guardians, is given to us in a different form when we reach the age where we are independent and must take responsibility for our own lives before the Lord with our public profession of faith. At this time, in addition to our baptism, God gives us the sacrament of Lord's Supper by which we actively express our faith in Jesus Christ by repeatedly confessing our sins and taking and remembering and trusting in Jesus' work in our place. The assurance of Lord's Supper is not different from the assurance we receive in baptism, or preaching for that matter, as if communicant members can be more assured than non-communicant members. But whereas the assurance of baptism is handed to children by virtue of the covenant, the assurance of the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who show that they know the Lord, who choose to follow Christ even though there are other options for them, those who discern the body of Christ. And those, it also serves as assurance that we have union with God in Jesus Christ. And it's this union with Christ that serves as the basis of our assurance. If we are assured that we are united to Jesus Christ by true faith, we may be assured, whether we are young children in our homes or independent adults. At every stage in our life, we may know and believe that our salvation and our perseverance are as certain as Christ's work was sufficient. If you doubt your perseverance, you're actually doubting the completeness and the effectiveness of Christ's work, as if he's left something for us to do. But if you are convinced that his work was perfect, that you know that you belong to him and his perfect work, 
well, then you never have to doubt that God will work in your heart so that you continue to persevere in your faith. And God also grants us assurance from his work. He's told it to us. He's given us the signs and the seals as other promises. But he also comes to us by his spirit. He he shows us that we belong to him. Sometimes people think that the Christian faith is only about being saved from the punishment for our sins. And then after that, we are kind of left on our own. God is watching us after he rescued us to see what we will do. But the Bible teaches that salvation includes not only escaping God's wrath, but also being received into favor again. You can see that, for example, in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5. The glory of heaven, the the completeness of salvation is described in covenantal terms as a time when we will be God's people and he will be our God and we will be dwelling together in peace. The work of God not only removes our past debts, but it also changes our position and our status before the Lord. And then God goes on to equip us to live in our new status, to live as new creatures, to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, to live as members of his body. The passage we read in Deuteronomy 6 not only encourages believers to use the means that God has given us to persevere, but it also clearly shows us that the reason God delivered his people from slavery was so that he could preserve them and enjoy fellowship with them in the promised land. The passage reminds us of what our Lord Jesus taught us so many times. God has saved us so that we can walk in his commandments in a living relationship with him. God sent his son not only to pay for our sins and then leave us, but he sent his son to pay for our sins and then adopt us as his own children, as living members of his church who are actively seeking and serving the Lord by the hearing and the reading of his word, by meditation on his promises, by its exhortations, threats, and promises, and by the use of the sacraments. If you want to know if you will persevere or not, look at your position in the world. Look at your status before the Lord. You only have to see the work of God in your hearts, and you can see where you stand in this world. Now, much of the criticism against the teaching of the Reformed churches and also in the Canons of Dort concerning these doctrines of grace the doctrine that gives all the glory to God for our election and salvation and uh, conversion and perseverance, a lot of the criticisms, if not all the criticism, circles around the false premise that people who know they cannot lose their salvation will become complacent and careless in their lives. Just look at the list of slanderous accusations and the conclusion to this confession. There's the idea that if anyone thinks that they cannot lose their salvation, 
they will become complacent. They will become careless. They will begin to, to sin more. Well, people who make this criticism, they might point to the example of laziness that you might find in an employee who knows that he or she cannot get fired. Or they might point to the example of children who take their place in their family for granted. Well, there's no way they're going to kick me out of the house, and they decide to do nothing to help in the home. And then they say that Christians who are assured of their salvation will respond in the same way. If God can't fire us, who cares? We could do whatever we want. But when we look closely at the accusation that assurance leads people to value carelessness and complacency rather than to fight against these temptations, we'll find that this simply does not happen. It just does not happen. You will not find a Christian with the Holy Spirit in his heart who values complacency and carelessness and persists in these things to their death. These are things we experience, sure, but things that we hate as sins in our lives that we, we fight against. Everyone who is justified by God receives the gift of the Holy Spirit who is at war with the sinful desires of our hearts. Every Christian who finds assurance from the work of God in their hearts will also be led by the Holy Spirit to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. They will not be dominated by selfish and envious and proud pursuits that were so evident of their lives before the Holy Spirit filled their hearts. Just can think of other examples, the, the wedding vows that we make. The wedding vows that we make, well, they assure us that we're going to stick with one another through good times and, and bad, through riches and poverty. Well, that wedding vow to remain with one another until death do us part, it inspires more faithfulness to one another and not less faithfulness. And so also God's assurance of a permanent relationship leads the chosen bride of Christ to desire an ever-strengthening relationship with God. This is exactly what the Scriptures teach. Again, you can open your Bibles and you can find Titus. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. The Holy Spirit, does, it's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Here the Holy Spirit describes the results of the gracious work of His Holy Spirit in our heart. He shows us what happens when God brings us into His family. Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See that the grace of God trains us to renounce evil and to live 
self-controlled, upright, godly lives. And then at the end, Christ gave himself in order to redeem us from lawlessness and in order to purify us as a people who are zealous for good works. Read that passage and tell me, what is the fruit of God's grace in our lives? What is the result of God saying, you are my children here all the way till I come back in glory? The result isn't complacency and and carelessness. In fact, the Holy Spirit fights against those things. The result is rather joy and thanksgiving and godliness. It's true that some people foolishly believe that they are saved even if they live and persist in rebellion against God. And then they might ask the question, well, if I know I'm saved, why bother to join Christ's church as a member? Why bother to read the Bible? Why bother to hear the preaching or to submit to discipline or to use the sacraments or to, to worship twice with other believers? They might say that. But know very well, people who talk like this do not know the grace of God and do not have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. We can agree with Arminians that this is not the language of children of God. But we cannot agree that this is what we as Reformed churches believe or teach, what the Scriptures teach. Rather, in His amazing way, and in His effective power, we see both. We see God assuring us that we are saved and we see God instilling in us a desire to express our thankfulness for his work in everything that we say and do. We see confidence and assurance of perseverance together with humility and thanksgiving. That's the work of the triune God in our lives. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so we can look also at the work of God in our hearts. We could see we're in this family of God, we're in this relationship, and his spirit is leading us to rejoice in God's work in our lives. And we may be assured that we will persevere in our faith to the end. We may know this part of our future. God has impressed this assurance on our hearts. And though we may not understand it, why is God so gracious to me? And Satan may hate this teaching, and the world might ridicule the teaching, and the ignorant and the hypocrites might abuse it to just do what they want, and the heretics may attack this teaching The bride of Christ always has and will continue to love the teaching of Scripture, of the perseverance of the saints as God preserves us in His grace. What a comfort for us in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of our struggles, when we fall and land on our face in this life due to our weakness. We may learn to put our trust in the triune God who has told us that he will preserve us till the end. As we read in 1 John 4, verses 19 to 20, 
think it's 3, verses 19 to 20. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 116, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Standing, if you're able to stand, this one again. We cry out, and the Lord assures us that he preserves our lives, that he shows us compassion, that he protects us, and he keeps us from stumbling, that we may live and walk before his face. Psalm 116, stanzas 3, 4, and 5. Standing, if you're able to stand.